Our Bible reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, and I'm reading from verse 36. Luke chapter 7, and I'm reading from verse 36. In fact, I think we'll read it together, seeing it's on the screen. Let's read uh, together. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owned money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Over the last few uh, Sundays we've been uh, working our way through this uh, series about stories of grace. And... uh, you will recall that uh, part of the inspiration comes from Philip Yancey's book, which I commend to you, What's So Amazing About Grace. And he says this, I truly believe that the future of the church depends on how we master the art of dispensing grace. So Philip Yancey thinks it's rather important that we get our heads and our hearts around this idea of grace. And that's why we're working uh, through this short series during the summer. Uh, We've looked at unearned grace, 
Um, we looked at the parable of the vineyard workers and we recall that the first were last and the last were first. And it gave us a, an, an idea of how grace works. It doesn't work uh, like things work in this world. It's a bit like cycling, isn't it? Does anybody understand cycling? Anybody understand how it works? Why did the British team think the Germans were going to help them? I don't, I don't get it. Perhaps, perhaps you do and you can see me after and you can explain it. I didn't understand the tour France, before France either. And grace is a little bit like that. It's hard to get our, our heads round because it doesn't work how things work in this world. And we saw that in the story of the workers of the vineyard where the person that came last got exactly the same as the person that had been working all day and didn't seem very fair. It was unearned grace. And then we went on to think about undeserved grace. And we looked at that story in John's Gospel about the woman caught in adultery. And, uh, and we saw how uh, everybody else was ready to stone this woman. And Jesus shows her grace. Uh, not because she deserved it, because grace isn't something we get uh, because we deserve it. We get it because of God's love for the unlovely sometimes. And we saw that wonderful story of undeserved grace. And this morning we're continuing with our stories of grace. We're thinking about uninvited grace. And next week we're looking at unexpected grace. So this week uh, we're looking at this story of grace. Jesus anointed by the sinful woman. And uh, it's uninvited grace because we're looking at uh, a story about a party and about somebody that wasn't invited. Uninvited grace. Luke's Gospel is, uh, is full of uh, references to, uh, to food. Have you noticed that? Uh, Luke obviously enjoyed his food, so did Jesus. And uh, somebody says that there's 51 references to food. Gary will check it out for us. Where is he? Later on uh, in his version of the Bible. 51 references to food uh, in the Bible. And uh, Jesus was always uh, involved in food. There he is feeding the 5,000. Uh, next week we'll be looking at him going to the the house of uh, Zacchaeus for tea and of course uh, one of the last things Jesus did with the disciples was to share a meal with them in the last supper so food was an important part of of Jesus life and it was an important part of of social life in Jesus time and uh, do you notice one of the accusations uh, that was often given to Jesus was that he ate with sinners that was one of the accusations that was labelled at Jesus. Uh, who you ate with was very important in, in the social context. Uh, that you had the right people at the right occasion. And there was definitely a list of people who would never get invited to the sociable parties of their day. And uh, we're going to see something about that. So uh, meals were important. And I'm sure you were brought up like me to, uh, to say grace before dinner. Yeah? No, maybe not. I, I was brought up. The, the only time we ever said grace was uh, on a Sunday for some reason. Uh, before Sunday lunch, it was obviously deemed a, a special occasion. And uh, we said this grace. And uh, I wonder if I can remember. Thank you for the food we eat. Thank you for the birds so sweet. You obviously don't know it. Thank you, Jennifer. She's, uh, her memory is better than mine. It was, it was a grace that we said before dinner. Well, here in, in Luke's Gospel, uh, we see that idea of grace before dinner. Uh, because they were gathering for this party. 
And uh, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, you remember when we were looking at the story of, uh, of, of the, uh, the woman caught in adultery where the Pharisees were setting a trap for Jesus. There's no indication here that the Pharisee was in any way wanting to set a trap for Jesus. They were inviting Jesus because he was the celebrity speaker. He was the person that everybody was talking about. This preacher from Galilee. And so the Pharisee invited Jesus to his house because he wanted to hear what this Pharisee had to say, what this teacher, what this rabbi had to say. And uh, and so he invites uh, Jesus to his house for dinner. And, uh, And Jesus accepts the invitation. Jesus accepts the invitation and uh, he goes to the Pharisee's house and he reclines at the table, which is the way um, that the people ate in those days, very often reclining at the table because they sat there for a long time. Grace before dinner. Grace before dinner. And uh, of course into the scene, into this scene, of course uh, there would have been other people that were invited to the dinner and they would be all gathered. Now um, into this scene comes this woman. And we're told that this woman lived a sinful life. When a woman who lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, she brought a jar of alabaster perfume. And she crashes the party. Anybody here ever done that? Been to a party that you weren't invited to? You're not going to admit it if you did. Uh, This woman definitely wasn't on the guest list. She was uninvited. Now, just to give you a little picture of what, it, what, what dinners were like in those days, don't imagine that she came barging through the door and everyone went, <gasps> um, they, they would have, uh, their, their dinners would have been in an open plan. We, we think open plan something new, but their, their dinners would have been open plan. And they would have been in a sort of a courtyard having the dinners, but there would have been other people on the edge of the party that were just observing, who weren't invited in. And they would have been looking in and watching, but from the outside. And what this woman does, this woman who we're told lived a sinful life in the town, what she does is she crosses the line. She crosses this invisible line that she shouldn't have crossed. Because her place was outside of the party. She wasn't invited. It was okay for her to remain on the fringes and to observe from outside. The mistake that this woman made, according to the Pharisees, was that she crossed this invisible line and she actually entered the place where they were having the party. And you can imagine everybody's eyes turned towards this woman. Luke doesn't give her a name. Some people have thought that this was uh, Mary Magdalene. Luke doesn't say who this woman is. Just that this woman was a woman that lived a sinful life. People have uh, again interpreted what it means. Did it mean that she was a prostitute? Did it mean this or did it mean that? Luke doesn't say it. He just says that this was a woman who lived a sinful life. And she should have remained outside of the party. 
Not only does she, she cross an invisible line and come into the party as if that wasn't bad enough, she then stood behind him, Jesus, at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. And again she breaks all sorts of rules. To start with, she's letting her hair down. I read somewhere that uh, in, in Jewish society at that time, when a woman got married, that she would keep her hair up and covered and never go outside without having, it left, without having her hair up. It would have been an absolute social embarrassment. One commentator says it would be like somebody coming to church topless. That's how shocking it would have been for the woman to have let her hair down in public. So not only does she crash this party that she wasn't invited to, she lets her hair down. You can almost feel the embarrassment of the guests that are gathered. When a person's problems and sins are public, just like this woman's sins were, because everybody knew who she was. She was obviously a well-known character. It's a little bit like the woman caught in adultery. Her sins are public. They weren't kept in private. They were there out in the open, and everybody knew when she walked into that room who she was, that she was a sinner. And they thought she shouldn't have been welcomed. That she shouldn't have been accepted because of the lifestyle that she led, because of who she was. And that's why it's grace before dinner. Because grace doesn't operate as we imagine it to, does it? I read this amusing little story about uh, a man who dies, which isn't amusing, but the story is. And he goes to heaven, and of course St. Peter meets him at the pearly gates, and St. Peter says, here, this is how it works. You need a hundred points to make it to heaven. Did you know that? A hundred points, and you get into heaven. You tell me what good things you've done, and I'll give you a certain number of points for each item, depending on how good it was. And when you reach a hundred, you get in. Simple as that. Okay, the man says, I was married to the same woman for 50 years and I never cheat on her, even in my heart. That's wonderful. That's amazing, said Peter. That's worth three points. Three points, says the man. Well, I attended church all my life and supported its ministry. I tithed and gave my service to the church. Fantastic, terrific, says Peter. That's certainly worth another three points. Three points, says the man. Well, not only that, how about this? I started a soup kitchen in my city and worked in a shelter for the homeless. That's absolutely wonderful, says Peter. That's worth another three points. Three points, the man cries. At this rate, the only way I'll get into heaven is by the grace of God. Come on in, says Peter. Come on in. Uninvited grace. We already learned, didn't we, that you can't earn it. And that you can't deserve it. As Philip Yancey says, there is nothing we can do to make God love us any more. And there is nothing we can do to make God love us any less. And this woman enters into the party where she is uninvited. She lets down her hair. 
She makes an exhibition of herself. Isn't it interesting? Here we have a story of somebody that offers a sacrifice of worship who is a sinner. Did you know that sinners can worship God? Did you know that? That sinners can worship God. That people that you and I don't approve of can still worship God. Because here we have a woman who was known as a sinner who makes an offering of worship to God. Worship is not restricted to the holy huddle. Even sinners offer worship to God. And so it was a case of grace before dinner, but it was also grace for the sinner. And this is about Simon. Simon the Pharisee. When the Pharisee who had invited him, invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, he didn't say it to anybody else, he said it to himself. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. This is what Simon was thinking. Didn't say it to anybody, this is what Simon was thinking. You know, sometimes you can tell what people are thinking, can't you? They don't have to say anything. You can tell by their faces that they are disapproving. I can see it on a Sunday morning. Sometimes I say things and your face gives it away. You're not with me. You don't agree. You think, Richard, you're being heretical here. I can see it in your faces. We don't have to say anything, do we? Sometimes our expressions give it away. And you can guarantee that everybody's expression in that room gave away what they were thinking, just as Simon the Pharisee. And he was thinking this, if Jesus was a prophet, that's why he invited Jesus to his house to find out, is this the Messiah? Is this the chosen one? Is this the one that all Israel has been waiting for? Let's invite him and let's find out what he knows. And he's thinking to himself, gosh, if this guy doesn't even know this woman is a sinner, how can he possibly know anything? How can he teach us anything about God when he doesn't even recognise a sinner when there's one stood right behind him? That's what Simon's thinking. Because he knows this woman. Knows all about her. Knows what sort of person she is. The story told of a time when the whole town had gathered in the courthouse for a trial. The prosecuting attorney called his first witness, an elderly woman, to the stand. He approached her and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? She responded, why yes, I do know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a young boy. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat on your wife, you manipulate people, you talk about them behind the backs, you think you're a big shot, but you haven't the brains to realise that you'll never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. The lawyer was stunned. Not knowing what else to say, he pointed across the room and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defence attorney? She replied, why, of course I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster too. I used to babysit him. And he too has been a real disappointment to me. He's lazy, bigoted, he has a drinking problem, the man can't build a normal relationship with anyone, and his law practice is one of the shoddiest in the entire state. Yes, I know him. At this point, the judge wrapped the courtroom into silence and called both counsellors to the bench. In a very quiet voice, he said with menace, If Eve ever ask her if she knows me, I'll hold you both in contempt of court. <laughs> you know, many of us go to great lengths, don't we, to hide the real me. We think as long as nobody else knows, we're okay. 
You see, Simon the Pharisee looked at this woman and he knew what sort of woman she was. And the issue here is about Simon's mindsets. Simon's mindsets. You see, there wasn't much room for grace in the mindset of Simon the Pharisee. And it's really important that we understand this because, you know, as far as Simon was concerned, his mind was set. He had decided what he believed and he'd already made a fatal error. He'd made a fatal error in deciding that he was going to make a judgment about Jesus on the basis of whether he could recognise whether this woman was a sinner or not. He says, doesn't he, if Jesus was a prophet, he'd be able to see what sort of woman this was. And in other words, if Jesus could see what sort of woman this was, he wouldn't have anything to do with her. He certainly wouldn't allow her to be wetting his feet with his tears and letting down her hair and, and pouring perfume on them, if he was a prophet. Now it's really important, you know, if we're going to uh, build up a, a belief system, if we're going to put our faith in anything that we understand, and um, that there is some kind of logic to it. We were doing a, a cafe church the other Sunday night, the great cafe churches, because we can explore issues in a bit, a, bit, a bit of depth, and we can come back at one another, and people can say, hey Richard, you are talking a lot of rubbish. Uh, what about this, what about that? And the other Sunday night, we were looking at a simple uh, issue, we were looking at the problem of evil in the world, and where it came from, and we were trying to solve it in an hour. But what was really interesting in this cafe church, as we were talking about this issue, several people said, well, I, I've got this idea that I've read somewhere, uh, I, th I think I've heard somebody say that this is where it came from. And I think there's a Bible verse somewhere, but I'm not quite sure. And I kind of stopped and said, well, hang on a sec, this isn't a great uh, foundation to build a belief on. I think somebody said somewhere, or I think I've written somewhere, or I think there's a Bible verse somewhere that says something, and this is what I'm building my belief and faith on about the problem of evil. And whilst we laughed about it, we also said, hang on a sec, this isn't a good foundation to be building on. It's, it's quite weak and, and kind of flimsy and, and not really very, very, very firm. And, and Simon has built his whole life on a foundation that is wrong, that is flawed. He's set his mind, he's already decided that if Jesus has anything to do with this, this woman, he cannot be a prophet. And so... As soon as Jesus accepts this woman and allows her to minister to him, as far as Simon's concerned, he can't possibly be from God, he can't possibly be a prophet. Because Simon's mindset was that godly people don't mix with ungodly people. The word Pharisee, uh, you know, has in its meaning separates. And the Pharisees kept themselves separate from any kind of sinful people. They would have crossed the road to avoid even passing this woman on the street. They certainly wouldn't have had any physical contact. And Simon's mindset is wrong. And because his mindset is wrong, he thinks that Jesus can't see the sinner behind him Simon the Pharisee can't see the Saviour who stood in front of him. It's a little bit scary, isn't it, folks? That this religious man, this God-fearing man, 
can see the sin in this woman, but can't see God in Christ the Saviour. That frightens me, and it should frighten you. Because Simon the Pharisee is a God-fearing man. And he doesn't recognise God when he stood in the same room as him, because it wasn't what he expected God to be like. Jesus wasn't ex- wasn't behaving in the way that the Pharisees expected God to behave. He wasn't treating the sinner in the way that the Pharisees expected God to treat the sinner. And the sad thing is, sometimes we see more of Simon the Pharisee in the church than Jesus the Saviour. Because that same attitude creeps into the church and we become judgmental. And we judge people. And we say they're sinners because they live a lifestyle like this. And whenever we put ourselves in that seat of judgment, we actually put ourselves in the place of God. We actually put ourselves in the place of God because it's God who's supposed to be doing the judging and not us. And when we make a judgment about somebody, we're putting ourselves in in the judgment seat which belongs to Jesus. And we're making judgments about people. And we all do it, don't we? We look at people and, you know, I was in Burnley Town Centre and, and this guy, you know, walked into the coffee shop where I was in with a can of beer and looking a bit disgruntled and I'm straight away I'm making kind of judgments about him. The person in the coffee shop gave him a cup of water for nothing. I'm thinking there's a, a drunkard, hey, up there might be a bit of trouble. The person in the coffee shop gives him a free cup of water. That's grace. So easy, isn't it, to make judgments about people, to put ourselves, and of course the Pharisee, the mistake that they made is that they thought they were better than everybody else. And of course we'd never think that, would we? We'd never look at somebody else and think, well, I'm better than them. But we do, don't we? We look at other people and we think, well, I'm not as bad as that, and I'm not as bad as that. And it's so easy to fall into that Pharisaical mindset where we start to make judgments of other people. Grace for the sinner didn't fit into Simon's mindset about what God was like. And so he missed God when he was stood right before him. Grace for the sinner. And uh, Jesus responds. Jesus responds better than my remote control. Grace is the winner. He responds by telling this little uh, parable. The parable um, of the moneylender. Simple little parable. Two men owe a certain moneylender some money. One owned him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay back. So he cancelled the debts of both of them. Imagine that. Imagine if some rich person walked into this room this morning and said, Anybody owe anybody anything? I do. I'm going to pay off all your debts. Some of us will be a lot happier than others, let me tell you. Some of us will be dancing for joy. Others will be thinking, well, I'm okay. I don't owe anybody anything. But some of us will be dancing for joy. Thank you very much. We'll be really pleased. Come and have a cup of coffee. Sit down. Let's have a chat. You're going to cancel. You're going to pay off all my debts. Hallelujah. Jesus gives us a little story about the parable of the moneylender. 
And then he turns to Simon and he says, now which of them will love him more? Simon's response is interesting, isn't it? I suppose. There's a, do you hear the reluctance in Simon's voice? He knows what the answer is, he knows what the right answer is, but he can hardly bring himself because he thinks, there's something more here and I don't think I'm going to like it. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You're right, Simon. Well done. He's got the answer right. I don't think Simon's smiling at this point. Grace is the winner in this story. And then comes that cliffhanger moment. Then comes that cliffhanger moment. Jesus has asked Simon the question. Simon has answered Jesus. And then Jesus, it says, turned towards the woman. This is the first time in the story that Jesus turns to the woman. And he turns to the woman, but he speaks to Simon. And he says, Simon... Do you see this woman? Now, what a stupid question. From the moment this woman entered the room, everybody's seen her. Everybody's been sat there with huge embarrassment, wishing that this woman would disappear. Everybody's seen this woman. But Jesus says to Simon, Have you really seen this woman? Or have you just seen what she represents? Have you seen that this is a human being? That this is a person made in the image of God. Simon, have you really seen this woman? And of course the answer is no. All Simon has seen is, here's a sinful woman. Let's get her out of here. You see, Simon the Pharisees wanted sinners out. Jesus reaches out to sinners. This is what grace is all about. And it didn't sit comfortably with the Pharisees, and I don't think it sits any more comfortably with us. Because let's be honest, you know, if a homeless person walked in here this morning who smelt and reeked of beer, you know, we would feel uncomfortable, wouldn't we? We would feel uncomfortable. We would want to welcome the person because we know that that's the thing we ought to do, but if we're honest, we'd feel uncomfortable and we'd rather the person wasn't there. And we'd feel a lot more relieved uh, when the person wanted to speak to the minister and we could say, you go and deal with him. So interesting in church, a number of times, it doesn't happen very often in Lum, but when I was working in, in Stockport in the town centre and the homeless person would wander in off the street, they would very quickly point them towards the minister, even before they asked to see the minister. Richard, here's somebody for you to sort out. There's a kind of embarrassment, isn't there? We don't know what to do. Have you seen this person? Do you see this person as I see them? Well, obviously not. Because Simon can't see past the woman's lifestyle. Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Do you see what she's done? And then Jesus goes into this little sermon for Simon. I came into your house, you didn't give me any water for my feet. That would have been the, the, the custom. As soon as somebody walked in, it was dusty, they were wearing sandals or nothing on the feet. The custom would have been to wash your feet. Nobody had done it. You didn't give me a kiss. This woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't pour oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore... I tell you that her sins are forgiven. Shock, outcry. Who does this person think he is? Who does this person think he is? That's what the other guests say, don't they, in verse 49. Who is this? 
who even forgives sins. And again, do you see the irony? They don't know who he is. They do not know who Jesus is. And yet he's the one that forgives sins. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Jesus forgives this woman's sins. Outrageous grace. You see, grace never ends. It continues to reach out to the sinner. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not a great person. I have not lived a great life. Then the grace of God reaches out to you. I've met so many people who are, who are all wrapped up and, and, and their lives are kind of, they, they don't realise that God can forgive any sin. Because grace never ends. Fred Craddock, writing about this story, says, The story screams for the need for a church, not just any church, but one that says, You are welcome. You are welcome. Because whilst nobody else will welcome this sinful woman, Jesus opens his arms. Not only welcomes the woman, but forgives her. And sends her away. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She's the only person that left the party with peace in her heart that day. Everybody else went away cross thinking, Who is this person? Why is he forgiving this woman? Why did he allow her to touch her? This woman leaves in peace because she has been forgiven. There's a lesson for all of us there. That we need to extend that same grace that we see time and time in the Gospels to one another and especially to those outside of the church. We need to show this world what grace really looks like. What does it look like? Well, we have a picture this morning of this woman. Because of the grace, she pours out this perfume. She, she's not bothered about the embarrassment that others feel because she wants to get to this saviour, this person who accepts her and who forgives her. Grace rained down that day on that woman. And we've got to try and make it rain down in our community, in our village, in our towns and cities. As we think about this story, and as we think about the grace that's demonstrated, grace before dinner, grace for the sinner, and let's remember that grace is the winner. We're just going to.